From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. As always, we're coming to you from our cozy little studio nestled in Toronto's Liberty Village neighborhood. But you may be listening online at TalkZone.com or to one of our growing list of affiliates like WRNIAM in Providence, Rhode Island, or KINX in Great Falls, Montana, or KBUF AM in uh, Wichita. Uh, welcome to you all wherever you are. And just a reminder, we're doing another Hangout on Air. So if you want to watch the live stream, you just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, and then you click on the uh, the live stream link. It's uh, right there at the top of the Twitter. Uh, the Conspiracy Show on TV. I believe uh, we've wrapped up Season 3 on Vision TV. I believe the uh, the entire run of 13 episodes has now aired across Canada on Vision. Uh, but the show is growing internationally. We're now in over 200 markets in the U.S., and the show was recently sold to Australia and Poland. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, at my Follow the Truth Summit in Oshawa, we flew Don Schmidt up uh, to speak about the Roswell UFO crash. Uh, well, they call it UFO, uh, but it was actually uh, two crafts, actually. And so Don Schmidt was there talking Roswell. And then we had Jim Penniston, one of the key witnesses to the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, join us uh, via Skype. Uh, and then on that same stage, after uh, after Don Schmidt and Jim Penniston, we had Simka uh, Jakubovic, who was uh, coming to us via Skype again, live from Israel to discuss archaeology in the Bible. So we covered a lot of territory uh, during the uh, the conference. Uh, but for the next hour, we're going to sort of bring these two fascinating arenas together into one conversation. I'm talking about the Bible and aliens. What is the connection, for example, uh, between Mount Hermon, which is uh, located uh, between Syria and Lebanon, and the Roswell UFO crash in 1947? Who or what are archons? Why did Jesus say that in the end times it would be as it was in the times of Noah? Rob Skiba is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and the best-selling author of several books including Babylon Rising and The First Shall Be Last and Archon Invasion, The Rise, Fall, and Return of the Nephilim, as an ancient Nephilim theorist, Rob brings a unique and often unheard perspective to the UFO alien discussion. He's an internationally recognized public speaker, and he often appears on paranormal and prophecy talk shows and is a featured keynote speaker at conferences, conferences all around the world. As a graduate of the Hollywood Film Institute, his lifelong dream has been to produce powerful television and motion picture productions. He's currently working full-time on the development and production of Seed, the series. Rob Skiba, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm great, Richard. How are you? I'm very well and very excited to talk to you. As I mentioned, we had Don Schmidt, uh, one of the world's foremost Roswell UFO uh, investigators up uh, up here in these here parts back uh, earlier this month. And um, I, I'm very fascinated uh, by the, the connection, the possible connection between uh, the Roswell UFO incident and uh, Mount Hermon. Uh, in the Middle East, can we can we start with that discussion because this is this is very intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I have to give credit where credit is due. It was David Flynn, who was the researcher who really uh, I think put this whole subject on the map. 
uh, is where I got my information from. But he discovered that uh, if you if you, you can even go on Google Earth and check this out for yourself, that uh, sort of the center of the mountain range of Mount Hermon is 33.33 degrees north by 33.33 degrees east from the Paris Prime Meridian, which many of your listeners may be aware was once known as the Devil's Line. Of course, Dan Brown and others write about that. If you go on Google Earth, it's going to give it to you from the Greenwich, so it's like 35.54 or something. But if you subtract the difference uh, between that and the Paris Prime Meridian, you end up with 33.33. Well, most people who read the scriptures will understand that Lucifer, Satan, took one-third of the angels with him when he rebelled. And so if you think about that, that's one-third of a hundred. It's about 33.33333333. There you go. Yes. So it's just, it's kind of bizarre that I believe it's a platoon of about 200 watcher-class angels, according to the Book of Enoch, landed on Mount Hermon in the days of Jared. And so it's sort of like they landed on the only geographical landmass location on the planet that sort of fits their number of their army perfectly. Right. Can I just stop you right there, Rob? Can you take us through that, yeah. that passage in, Jared? What does it say about these? Does it actually say 200? Yes, in the Book of Enoch. Oh, in the Book of Enoch, uh, I'm sorry. Me, I don't, I, 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 it's within the first six chapters, I believe, that it gives you that information. But, yeah, it talks about 200 uh, watcher-class angels. And we know, reading in the Bible, there are different classes of angels, archangels, seraphim, cherubim. You know, you know, different classes of angels like that. Well, Watcher is another class of angels. It's actually mentioned in the canonized text of the Book of Daniel. Um, now, you know, some people argue about whether the Book of Enoch is really Scripture. All I can say is it has been in and out of our Bible throughout the centuries. <laughs> um, the Ethiopians still have it in their Bible to this day, so I don't really get into any arguments of whether or not it should be or should not be considered Scripture. I just point out the fact that many have viewed it that way. Um, and it, it happens to give you a lot of really interesting information, especially the first two verses. You open the book up, and it basically tells you in the first two verses that this book is written for those who will be living in the day of tribulation. Uh, it is not for this generation, but for a remote one, which is to come. So right off the bat, first two verses of the first chapter, it's telling you that this book is not for the people who may have been contemporary when it was written, but for those who are going to be living in what we would call the tribulation period or the last days. So I find it rather interesting that a little boy throws a rock into a cave and hears a jar crack and boom, out pops the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, in the 1946 time frame, right about the same time or within a year or so. Right, the Nag Hammadi, um, right. Yeah, of Roswell. Ah, right, and, 1947, there you go. And David Flynn found this really interesting. He took a team out there, I believe it was in 2005, and, of course, it didn't happen. The event, the alleged crash, did not happen in Roswell. It happened further to the, I guess, northwest, I believe, in Corona, of right. that town. Right. And uh, he went out there with some GPS devices and whatnot and some other uh, machinery and whatever and uh, found out that that's 33.33 degrees also. And when he multiplied his location by the universal constant of pi, it gave him his longitude of 104. So... He began to wonder, is, is this a possible fulfillment of a prophecy? Probably actually a number of prophecies, but one of them in particular is uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, that the last days would be like the days of Noah. And so, well, that begs the question, what was going on in the days of Noah? Precisely, <laughs> you know? precisely, yes. 
And, you know, many people think, you know, it's just about people bonking each other over the head with clubs and, you know, being bad or whatever. And, yeah, sure, that may have been happening. But that's not the reason for the flood. The reason for the flood was because uh, Genesis 6.12 tells you that all flesh had become corrupted. And I believe it's talking about genetic corruption. Right. Uh, he wanted about, to clean the gene pool. He wanted to, uh, God, meaning God, wanted to clean the gene pool. Is that the idea? Exactly. That's what the flood was about. Yeah. Only one pure family, right? That was Noah and his family. Yes, and and this is a, a, a bit controversial uh, in my circles. Uh, people who do the research on the Nephilim, um, they believe in what's referred to as multiple incursions, that angels continue to mate with women over and over and over again after the flood. My research has led me in a different direction uh, from that. Uh, Genesis... Six, I believe it's eight and nine, tells us that Noah was found uh, righteous and pure in his generations, or perfect in his generations. The, the phrase perfect in his generations comes from a Hebrew word that means, it's tamim, that means genetically pure. It's the same word that's used elsewhere for, like, getting the pure red heifer for sacrifice right. and whatnot, you know, right. uh, in temple service. So it, it tells you that Noah was pure. And then it tells you he had three sons. So I believe by implication, the three sons were also pure, which means his, Noah's wife was pure. And the book of Joshua, which is in what I call, it's one of three books that I refer to as the synchronized, biblically endorsed, extra-biblical texts. And the reason I refer to them that way is because they are synchronized. They tell the same story in the same chronological order, order of events, but they fill in different blanks. What Enoch doesn't cover, Joshua does. What Joshua doesn't cover, another book jubilees does and when you kind of put them all together it tells you a very detailed story about what was going on in those days and i say they're biblically endorsed because the authors of scripture referred to these books they infer things that can only be found in these books they quote from them they mention them by name so i figure well if it's good enough for them to do that it's good enough for me that it tells you that noah married uh, i believe it's enoch's daughter and you know, we learned from the scriptures that Enoch was so righteous that God took him home, He's, you know, <laughs> early. So I think it's a reasonable assumption that that immediate family is pure. However, when you keep going past Genesis 6, 8, and 9, you find out that violence is increasing and then all flesh becomes corrupted. And I come from a, a literal point of view. I look at it and I say, well, it's going to take it literally. That's what it says. All flesh. I mean, does all mean all or not? I guess it means all. Uh, with the exception of the people they just mentioned that are tamim. Well, then you get down to verse 18, and, of course, 18 follows 12. It tells the first mention of the three wives of Noah's three sons. Well, that led me down a very interesting path, specifically in the books of Joshua and Jubilees. And they, in my mind, from the research that I did, have to fall into the category of all flesh that had become corrupted. And one of the reasons I say that is because Moses writes in Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, that, that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Right. And then he gives like this little, almost like a parenthetical. He says, and Ham is the father of Canaan. And you're like, why did he say that? <laughs> you know, hmm. Why did he specifically mention that? Because the Canaanites are the giants that are all over the Old Testament, the right. ones that God is always telling the Israelites to utterly destroy, including men, women, and children. Yeah, there's a lot of smiting going on in the Old Testament, and I never could understand why would a, a loving God order the Israelites to go into village after village after village and smite every living thing in that village. But then, Rob, it starts to make sense 
when we understand where you're headed. And let's take a time out. We'll come back and continue and discuss why, for example, did Jesus say that in the end times, and some say the end times are upon us, why did Jesus say in the end times it would be as in the times of Noah? Is there a connection between the alien abduction phenomenon and what was going on in the times of Noah? We'll find out back with more of The Conspiracy Show and my conversation with award-winning documentary filmmaker, best-selling author Rob Skiba as we discuss aliens and the Bible. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. We are with Rob Skiba as we discuss aliens in the Bible. Now, uh, set something straight for me, Rob, because this is something that has perplexed me for a very long time. When we talk about uh, the fallen angels uh, co-mingling with the daughters of men and then creating this race of giants and the Nephilim and so forth, is it possible then, I mean, how do angels created by God co-mingle with humans, they are not human. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, they're spirit, are they not? When they're in heaven, certainly. But we see that they show up on Earth on a number of occasions as fully human. I mean, there are lots of locations in the Bible where you could point to that they're showing up as people. Three of them showed up to Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see Paul later in the New Testament telling us that, you know, we could be entertaining angels unaware and you've seen shows like Touched by an Angel and whatnot, where they tell these nice little stories where they encounter, quote-unquote, people that help them, but we see in the show that they're angels. And, you know, I, I can say that there have been a number of times in my life where I've had people that I've interacted with that I believe are angels. At one time in particular, after this person helped me through a really difficult situation, he said, all right, you know, and he, we shook hands, and I literally bent down to pick something up and looked back up, and the dude was gone, you know? <laughs> So I'm going, okay, did I just have one of those encounters? I don't know. Right. I don't know if I did or if I didn't. So you're saying um, it's possible then for fallen angels to have sexual relations with humans? Well, apparently the ancient record was unanimous in their agreement on that up until about 200 A.D. Mm-hmm. 200 A.D. is when an individual named Julius Africanus showed up, and he said, you know what, I don't believe that's possible, so he just wrote the whole thing off came up with another theory that where Genesis says the sons of God came into the daughters of men, that what it really meant was the sons of God are the good sons of, of Adam and Eve's son Seth. Right. And the daughters of men are the bad daughters of Cain. And I'm like, well, I got a number of problems with that idea. First of all, it doesn't say that. Second of all, later in like in the book of Job, you see that the, the phrase sons of God, but not ha Elohim, uh, is a reference to angels. And third, how do kissing cousins produce characters like Og of Bashan, who is 15 to 18 feet tall, according to the text, mm. or Goliath, you know, the famous David and Goliath, and he's 9 to 12 feet tall. So, right, entire settlements and villages of giants, like Hebron at one time. Oh, Hebron was like uh, giant central. Mm-hmm. Um, Hebron was originally known as Kiriath Arba, the city of Arba. Arba was the father of Anak, who was the father of the Anakim, Mm -hmm. who the Israelites encountered when they came out of the Exodus, and they sent the Hebrew spies into the land. And their words in Numbers chapter 13 was, uh, we feel like grasshoppers by comparison to these guys. And they repeatedly state that they were men of great 
stature. And among the Canaanites uh, are a group called the Amorites. Uh, Agabashan and Sihon were two famous Amorite kings that the Israelites took out. Well, the Amorites, according to Amos chapter 2, they were the size of cedar trees. Well, a cedar tree, a modest cedar tree, gets to 30, 35 feet tall. The cedars of Lebanon got to 150 feet tall. So just taking the low side of that, you're still going to feel like a grasshopper next to a 36-footer. You know? Sure, sure. So the question is, okay, so, you know, after the flood, why why were there giants again? And why, you know, how is that possible? And you've basically ascertained that the wives of the sons of Noah were not genetically pure. Correct. And again, I'll point to Genesis nine eighteen and 19, where it says that Shem, Ham, and Japheth are the three sons of Noah, and Ham is the father of Canaan. Now, that's really important. But the next verse says, and through them was the whole world populated. Now, this is written about 850 years after the flood, and Moses is clearly stating that the entire planet was populated from these three people, and oh, by the way, Ham's the father of Canaan. Well, when you turn the page to chapter 10, and it's specifically verses 6 through 20, it gives you all the ites that we mentioned before the break, that the Israelites were told to utterly destroy all over and over and over again. And this is what blew my mind. Chuck Missler, in a presentation I saw, he had taken the, the meaning of the names of the first ten patriarchs from Adam to Noah, and yes, I've seen that. It's, it's spectacular. Them. Have yeah. you seen that? Yes, I have. Explain it, though, for our listeners. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, we, you know, because their names mean things. Uh, you know, uh, so when you take the meaning of their names in the order that they're given, from Adam to Noah, it basically spells out a paragraph that says, "Man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching that with his death the despairing shall find rest." Well, I mean, that's like the whole plan of the Bible. <laughs> sure. In the meaning of the names of these ten guys. Yeah, the Old Testament well, thought, is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. I guess that's, that's right. How, yeah. And when I thought about that, I got a little book, and I highly recommend your listeners, and you might want to check this out yourself, get this book. It's the best $5 I ever spent. It's called The Dictionary of Scripture Proper Names by J.B. Jackson. And all it is is all the names in the Bible and what their names mean. Because we come to those passages where it says so and so begat so and so begat so and so. Yeah, why do they stick that in there? That's yeah. Why would they stick that in there? But if you understand the code, it's speaking to you. It tells you stuff. Like before, I knew this. I used to skip past that stuff because I couldn't pronounce the names anyway. You know. But then when I got this book, I said, you know, I'm wondering if there's any other patterns like what Chuck Missler found. And I did. I found a really interesting one in Genesis 10, 6 through 20. And just taking the names that are given there, these are the Canaanites and the meaning of their names and putting them in the same order that they're listed, this is the paragraph that you end up with. He raged, a black terror, double-straight afflicted trafficker. Black terror, drink thou anguish, compass the chamber, thunder compasses the smiting. He who is coming, their love, we shall rebel. And that's Nimrod right there. A double-straight firebrand, travailing, affliction of water, blades opening the moistened morsel, forgiven ones bowing to spy, a trafficker hunting terrors, Trodden downstairs, the strangers draw near. Showers of life, gnawing like thorns, they shall break loose, double woolen enclosures of wrath. And I'm like, okay. Uh, what if you look does at that the sons <laughs> of Shem and Japheth? Yes. They got pretty normal names. But why does a new, you know, why does a proud parent look down at their newborn kid and name it Enclosure of Wrath? What do you think, honey? 
There <laughs> you go. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Unless there's something clearly wrong with these kids, you know. Well, clearly there was because those are the ones that we see over and over and over again. And it's weird. Uh, Richard, I got to tell you, back in the, in the day when I was really starting to dive into the Bible, the Old Testament freaked me out, man, because... There's this God, like, killing everybody, right. and then you get to, like, the New Testament, and, and Jesus says in John 10:30, I and my Father are one. Or he tells Philip, the disciple, if you see me, you've seen my Father. And all these times he's saying, me and Dad are the same. And I'm going, I don't get it. Yeah, I've, I've like always been conflicted. Guy. Yeah, it's conflicted. I've always been conflicted. This vengeful, wrathful God ordering the Israelites to smite everything in sight in the Old Testament, and then all of a sudden, as you say, this loving God. Yeah. Well, I, I could never reconcile that until I realized, because he would tell them, you know, they're in a military campaign, men kill men. Men, that's what happens, you know. And, and there are some campaigns where that's what happened. They would kill the men, you know, in the battle, but they could take the women and children and animals as spoils of war. But yet when you go over here, you got to kill the women, kill the animals, kill the children, kill everybody. And I'm going, okay, what's, either God is prejudiced and schizophrenic and into random acts of genocide, or there's a legitimate reason why he would allocate certain cities for utter destruction and not do the same with other ones. Right. And when you go through it, you'll see in every single case that he's doing the utterly destroyed thing, it traces back to the people with the names I just mentioned in Genesis 10, 6 through 20, who all came from Ham's son Canaan, or Mitzram, uh, with no mention of angels popping in the scene anywhere in the picture. So uh, I'm going, well, that's what it says. So, And then later... You see characters like Akhenaten and Nefertiti showing up about 1300 B.C. with cone heads. And you're like, what is the deal with these guys? Well, then you go to Peru, and about 1000 A.D., a whole bunch of conehead people start showing up in Peru. Right, you know? right. And there, there, yeah, there were cases where people were, were you know, binding the child's head so that it could resemble, I suppose. Maybe they were paying homage to their overlords, uh, but in yeah. some cases... The, uh, the, uh, the, the signs that, that, you know, that this skull was formed in that way aren't there. There's like a, almost like a stitching that you would see in yeah. a human skull that's been bound in order to, to, to duplicate that, that cone, conical shape. But in some cases, that stitching isn't there on the, on the cranium. And so one has to wonder, are those alien or fallen angel skulls? Yeah, well, I've got a replica of a pretty famous one of those skulls. A friend of mine uh, knew a woman who had access to the actual skull and uh, cast it to the mold and, you know, made a replica. And he gave it to me a couple years ago. And it, it's a female skull. The, the person was probably just uh, under five feet tall, but she had over 20% larger cranial capacity, of a 25, 20 to 25% larger brain, mm. and totally different suture patterns. You know, you're right. There were uh, There are people that do the head-binding thing with babies, but you got to ask a question, why did they decide, you know, hey, let's drop a board to the baby's head today, you know? Uh, they were emulating right. something that was real. Because you do find the ones with the stretched head like that, but do have a normal suture pattern just like yours right. and mine. Right. But then you find others that don't have the normal suture pattern, and, and changing the shape is not going to enlarge the inside of the brain, uh, you know, case, such that you could have 25, in some cases, as high as 40% more brain capacity. You know, head binding is not going to do that. So, uh, and when you look at the Egyptians, they come from Ham's son Mitzrayim, with no mention of angels anywhere. And Kaptor, 
this is what really got me interested in the whole subject, was Kaftor, one of the sons of Mitzrayim, he settled the island of Crete. And, well, Crete is where all of Greek mythology originates. So you want to know where right. Zeus and all those guys come from? Well, there's a pretty good indication right there. Is And the Philistines come from Kaftor also. So, you know, we know at least four or five giants, uh, Goliath and his brothers, you know, born to the giant in Gath. Um, you know, so we know that there were six-fingered, six-toes, probably double rows of teeth, uh, giants from the Philistines. And the Philistines came from Kaftor, who settled the island of Crete, being the son of Mitzrayim. So, uh, and then, of course, you got Joshua and his boys that when, after the Exodus, they're told to wipe the, you know, these guys out. But they did, they failed to get all of them. Uh, they missed the ones, and interestingly enough, the Gaza Strip, the Golan Heights, and the West Bank. <laughs> um, kind of bizarre that we're sure. still having issues in those areas today. Well, and then there are also, of course, uh, you know, the, these um, burial mounds all over the United States uh, containing these, you know, large skeletal remains. Abraham Lincoln, before he became yeah. president, touring Niagara Falls and, and talked about, the spect- you know, how, how visually spectacular the falls were and, and how they've remained unchanged since, you know, they were looked upon by... Well, he was referring to the giants and those the giant bones inside those those burial mounds. He was talking about giants in the United States. Oh yeah, and now they got the new History Channel out. Uh, those guys out looking for this stuff. But I live in in North Dallas, and about forty five minutes to the east of where I live is a place called Rockwall, Texas. Yes, and that's a really cool story. I mean, it's called Rockwall because I think it's back in the eighteen hundreds. A dude's digging a foundation or something. He hits a rock. Digs a little deeper, realizes it's a rock wall. Keeps digging, finds out it's a really big rock wall. Then they end up finding an opening in the rock wall. Go inside, they find a room that had a cauldron, as the story goes, uh, with human remains in it. So apparently, what was there, whoever was living there was eating people. And then they found a skull uh, about three times larger than yours and mine. So you know, a place is about 18 feet tall, right here in Rockwall, Texas. What they do? They put a reservoir over it. You can't you can't go there now. There's the, the Lake Ray Hubbard is covering up all that. Hmm. And uh, you, you, I went out there with L.A. Marzulli, uh, who was doing uh, Watchers Four, right. one of his DVD series on this. And uh, in, and people either aren't talking or they don't have a clue today about what's going on over well, there. Let's we'll be coming up on a break in a few minutes, but let's begin this discussion and then we can continue it afterwards. And that that. You know, takes us back to to Jesus talking about in the end times it would be as it was in the times of Noah. And I'm, so, I, the, let me just cut right to the quick. What is the connection then between the alien abduction phenomenon and uh, let's go back to the Book of Enoch, where the the ne- the uh, you know the fallen angels were commingling with the daughters of men? Well, I want to differentiate between the days of Noah and the days of Jared. The days of Jared uh, are the days when the two hundred watchers came down. And made it with women. Right. And Enoch tells you that the first generation Nephilim only lived for 500 years, and they were to kill each other off in a massive civil war that the Greeks later stylized into what became known as the Clash of the Titans. Right. But the the days of Jared are 1,200 years before the flood. So go forward 500 years, you still got 700 years more to go. And the first generation uh, Nephilim kill each other off, the Titans. Then the Watchers, their parents, are judged, bound, and buried for 70 generations. And this is something we definitely want to come back to uh, after the break. They're bound for 70 generations. And if my calculations are correct, I put together a timeline on this, that's roughly 3000 B.C. when that took place. 
when the watchers were judged for 70 generations. And then about 68, 70 years later, Noah's born, and there's still, from the date Moses, or excuse me, Noah is born, there's 600 years left to go before the flood. So that begs the question, okay, if the angels made women, created these titan Nephilim, there's a big clash of titans, but they're all dead, and the watchers are judged bound and buried, what in the world got God so mad that he had to wipe out the whole world 600 years to 700 years later? With the flood. Exactly. Well, what contaminated the gene pool if, uh, you know, the the, uh, the watchers are locked up and, uh, as you say, their uh, their progeny are, you know, destroyed themselves in this clash of uh, the titans. Listen, we'll pick up on that when we come back. On the other side, Rob Skiba continues as we discuss aliens in the Bible right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't you go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Rob Skiba stays with us, the award-winning documentary filmmaker and best-selling author of several books, including Babylon Rising and The First Shall Be Last and Archon Invasion, The Rise, Fall, and Return of the Nephilim. Uh, and Rob's website, uh, well, a, a number of them, but if you just go to uh, richardserrett.com and click on Rob's name, we've linked up to, to um, babylonrisingbooks.com. Uh, so back to... Uh, the uh, the uh, the watchers, the fallen angels, being banished to um, is it Tartarus, uh, where yes. they're chained up to yeah. in, in Tartarus, and uh, uh, but also under the sands of the earth. So there, which I believe Tartarus is under the earth as well. Um, but but we know that there are some that are buried just sort of underground, like Azazel or Azazel, uh, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, he was determined to be the worst of the 200, and he was buried in a place called Dudiel, which nobody really knows where it is. I speculate that it's in Iraq, um, but regardless, it's somewhere out in the desert, uh, a place called Dudiel. And we have four other angels that are buried under the river Euphrates that are mentioned in Revelation, I believe, chapter 9, if I remember right, um, that are released in the end times. So, um, you know, they're judged on and buried about 700 years before the flood, but then Genesis 6-3 is very telling. Genesis 6-3, God says that man's days shall be limited to 120 years, and a lot of people think that that's putting a, a cap on human longevity, uh, based on the fact that Moses lived 120 and pretty much nobody after him did, um, in biblical times anyway. Right. But there have been people today who have lived quite a bit beyond 120, I don't believe that that's talking about a cap on human longevity. I believe that it's telling us that in the last 120 years leading up to the flood, there, God was giving a warning, saying, you guys better stop what you're doing, otherwise my spirit will no longer dwell with you. Uh, those who come from a biblical worldview believe that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, he comes and lives in you, that our body becomes, a, in effect, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. Well, if you corrupt his house through genetic tampering, God's saying, look, don't mess with that which I created to be in my image and my likeness. If you do, I'm not going to be able to hang out with you anymore. My spirit will no longer dwell with you. And this is where Joshua and Jubilees come in really handy and, and giving us, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story <laughs> yes. of 
Genesis 6.12. Genesis 6.12 just tells us all flesh became corrupted. Well, you're like, well, how'd that happen? Exactly. They're all locked well, up in Tartarus. Yeah. The angels are locked up, and the first-generation Nephilim are dead, although I do believe the first-generation Nephilim themselves were able to procreate, especially if you look at multiple cultures and their mythologies. You have, like, the Anunnaki and the Akiki. You have, in the Greeks, you have the Titans and the Olympians and the demigods. You know, multiple cultures um, have this idea of multiple generation of gods. So I do believe that the first generation Nephilim did procreate, uh, and, and I believe that their growth rate is the same as ours. They just keep going. You know, like I stopped growing at age 16 or so, you know, 5 foot 11. But if you turn off the growth inhibitor gene that tells us when to stop, well, they're just going to keep on going. Right. So I think that they are, at least for a period of time, they are able to still mate with normal women uh, until they obviously get so large that that becomes prohibitive, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. But then I believe they could mate within them their own class as well. So I believe that there were successive generations that came out of that first generation they were probably still around in the days of Noah. But Joshua 4.18 and Jubilee 7.24 tell us that one of the things that started to take place in the last 120 years leading up to the flood was what we now call transhumanism, the idea of blending species, and specifically blending species with the human race. So now you got centaurs and minotaurs and satyrs and all the interesting animal-human hybrids of multiple cultures. you got the Sumerians right. depicting them, the Hittites depicting them, the Egyptians, the Greeks, everybody sure. Sure. in the ancient world were depicting these animal-human hybrids. And sooner or later, you got to realize, you know what, with all these people depicting these things and going through a lot of effort and carving them into stone, they probably existed. And that's where my argument really centers around that issue right there, is because when I look at Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 24, 37, I don't see angels mating with women. I see transhumanism taking place in the last 120 years of Noah's life, or leading, uh, last 120 years, I should say, right. leading up to the flood. And I can turn on the evening news and see that happening. I don't see angels mating with women. But I do see uh, lots of reports. A couple of years ago, the uh, U.K. announced 140 animal-human chimeras created in the laboratory. And I'm going, well, if that's what they're telling us, what are they not telling us? <laughs> you know, Exactly. Uh, that's happening. Uh, and and it's not going to be good. In fact, people could go to 2045.com, 2045.com. These are some of the most brilliant minds in the world that have come together to form the 2045 Strategic Social Initiative. Yes. And it's all about achieving immortality. Yes. Their stated objective yes. is to achieve immortality by the year 2045. I would say parenthetically without God. Okay, listen, I've got a break coming in here. Rob, uh, pardon the interruption. We'll, uh, we'll continue this conversation. This was a short segment. Uh, back on the other side okay. with Rob Skiba. Aliens and the Bible, right here on The Conspiracy Show. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, Rob Skiba, let's get back to the uh, the connection between the alien abduction phenomenon uh, and, uh, well, the, the, the biblical narrative and, and uh, the Nephilim and the Watchers and the fallen angels. What's the connection? Yeah. Before the break, we we're talking about the Nazis and the RH negative factor. And in my research, the RH negative deal is, is really fascinating 
we don't have time in the next 15 minutes or so to go over it. But one of the things that I found was that there's a really high percentage of people who claim to have alien abduction experiences that are RH negative. And when I was looking into this bloodline thing, and it's not just him, incidentally. I've been focusing on the Canaanites mostly, but Japheth also has giants in his line. Japheth has Gog and Midgog. In fact, I stood on the Great Wall of China in 2006 and came to understand that the Great Wall of China was originally known as the ramparts of Gog and Magog. And if you just do a Google, Gog and Magog plus giant, you'll find that all throughout history, Gog and Magog were understood to have been a tribe of giants. So there were giants in Japheth, too, which would make a little bit more sense when you're talking about the Nordics and the blonde hair, blue eyes, and red hair. And most giants that are found that have any soft tissue still remaining you find reports of the red hair. The Hopi Indians talk about it, the conehead skulls in Peru, red hair. So, you know, people who think that this is me trashing the descendants of Ham, I'm like, well, really, I'm trashing my own ancestry because I come from the pale skin, red hair, blue-eyed Scottish background, you know. But I don't believe angels are able to mate with women anymore, and I think Enoch chapter 68 absolutely refutes that idea. And when you look at Daniel 2.43, you got an interesting scripture, a prophetic scripture, that says, Where you saw the iron mixed with miry clay, yes. they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. So now you got two things. you got the seed of men, and, and who is this they that are going to mingle themselves with the seed of men? But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And I believe that cleave thing is a marriage term. A man and a woman come together, and they right. cleave one to another, and they become one flesh. Well, that happens to sexual intercourse. Right. Well, why can angels no longer have relations with, with humans? Well, let me clarify that. I believe that they are possibly physically able to do so, but only after they modified food. In the Book of Enoch, it says that they started messing around with food first, genetically modifying the food before the woman could conceive. And the Book of Jubilees seems to indicate that there was some sort of genetic change that took place that made conception even harder afterwards, but we don't have time to get into that. But right. I do believe that there is going to be a second incursion of sexual interaction. The Book of Isaiah, chapter 14, tells us that Lucifer is cast down from heaven, and I think it's verse 21 or somewhere thereabouts. It talks about his offspring are going to be destroyed. But that hasn't happened yet. And that's the reason in the book of Revelation, the devil is locked up and bound in chains for a thousand years before he's cast into the lake of fire. And I always wondered, what's the, why, why does the devil get locked up in chains for a thousand years, then he's let out, and then he's thrown in the lake of fire? I didn't understand that until I realized that that is the prescribed judgment for angels that mate with women. If an angel mates with women, you get bound in chains to go to Tartarus. And, and it is a terrifying judgment. Michael, the mighty archangel himself, no one's mightier other than the Godhead itself, no one's mightier than Michael. He looked at the judgment of the watchers and he said, man, I am gripped with terror at what I'm seeing, and he prophesied it's not going to happen again. But in Daniel 2.43, you've got this mingling of seed, but not through cleaving. So I believe that that's what's talk, what we're looking at with alien abductions, because most of the alien abduction cases you read about or you hear about, it's very scientific. It's laboratory experiments. It's seed being extracted. It's eggs being extracted. It's implantation of embryos and extraction of fetuses. You know, it's all very scientific. And you're like, well, I mean, if all they had to do is grab a woman and go have sex, you know, why all the, the fuss? You right, know? right. There are hindrances, and I believe part of the reason why we're having genetically modified food today is because the watchers, in my opinion 
have been and are being released, because it says 70 generations, and Psalm 90, verse 10, defines a generation as 70 years, 80th by strength. If we go with the low number, 70 times 70 is 4,900 years. 4,900 years from 3,000 B.C. is the beginning of the 20th century. And I say, well, how else are we to explain the massive increase in science and technology and transportation and knowledge and, you know, we went from a flat line for 5,000 years, horse and buggy and beast of burden, to planes, trains, automobiles, supposedly putting right. a man on the moon and right. sending right. probes out to the farthest region. How did that happen in 50 years? Vacuum tubes to you transistors know? overnight, seemingly. Yeah, and then you got the Nazis and uh, Werner von Braun and others saying, ah, you know, we had help. <laughs> well, you know, who helped them? And, and was this massive blood sacrifice that we call the Holocaust and World War II something that opened up portals that started releasing these guys? You know, I don't know. All I can do is speculate, but the numbers work out such that we are at the end of the 70 generation prophecy of the book of Enoch, chapter 10, I believe. So let's talk about Let that. me get back to Roswell here for a second, as time is ticking here. So is was Roswell, okay, in 1947, was that then the the second wave of these watchers coming? Because we're told that there were maybe five, six alien bodies recovered, but that's hardly a wave. Correct. Yeah, well, first of all, I don't believe that the greys are fallen angels. Uh, I believe the greys are demons, and I differentiate between fallen angel and demon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people think they're one and the same. I disagree. Enoch chapter 15 tells you point blank that demons are the disembodied spirits of formerly living Nephilim, angel-human hybrids. So, you know, you create a titan, an angel-human hybrid, and you kill it, well, its evil spirit goes out and becomes a wandering spirit or a demon. And angels get around just fine. They have bodies of their own. But demons, on the other hand, are always looking for a body to get into. So I believe, L.A. Marzulli and others believe this as well, that the greys are probably just biosuits, that they are genetically engineered biological suits that enable a demon to have a tangible body. Interesting. And, you know, you always hear reports that they smell terrible, that they're frail, they're weak, you know, uh, apparently they deteriorate quickly. And it may explain why we have cattle mutilations and, you know, and human mutilations as well, where you have certain biological material being extracted. So I think that those are the alien greys, so-called alien. I don't believe they're from Octaurus or Ryan the Pleiades or anywhere else. I think that they're demons. And interestingly enough, I did a UFO conference up in New Jersey with a lot of the ancient aliens crowd was there. And we had some really interesting discussions. Of course, they believe in aliens from outer space. I believe it's right. interdimensional. But our conversations were, were very exciting, very interesting. And we're coming to a lot of the same conclusions, though we're using different terminology. Well, that's interesting so because I was going to ask you whether that message goes over well. with Because you know that there is a certain portion of the uh, UFO ET uh, community, for lack of a better term, uh, that, that looks at E.T. as, you know, the, the knights in shining armor that are coming to Earth to save us from ourselves, that they're with promises of free energy and cures for cancer and so forth. So how does that message go over with that crowd, your message? Yeah, well, all you have to ask them is, what are they trading in exchange for that? <laughs> and, and you usually come to the conclusion that the trade-off for all this great technology and stuff is human women. Well, why do they need them, you know? Um, and if you go back to 1918 and uh, Aleister Crowley with his Amalantra working, and he opened up a portal 
and apparently this character comes through that he calls Lamb. Yes. And he draws a picture of this dude in 1918, and Lamb looks remarkably similar to the Greys of pop culture today. Isn't that interesting? And then you got his uh, sort of his disciples there, uh, L. Ron Hubbard and uh, Parsons, uh, out there doing the um, the Babylon working, and a year later you got Roswell, you know, so. I believe that you know, and that took place in, in 1946. The uh, the Babylon working that uh, Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard did in March 1946 in a location that later became known as Area 51. So uh-huh. they're trying to pick up where Crowley left off, and apparently Crowley was good at opening and closing portals. But as the story goes, in my research, these guys apparently were good at opening them, but not so good at closing them. And, you know, coincidentally, a year later, we have Roswell, you know, and then the modern UFO, you know, just takes off. The, all the modern UFO stories, really, in, especially in the 50s, we've got UFOs all over the place. Sure, sure. And then abductions and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I mean, at this point, we're all speculating and no, nobody's ever sat down with one of these and had a conversation and said, OK, this is the deal. <laughs> but uh, I believe that from a biblical worldview, what we're seeing is the release of the watchers. We're seeing an increase of demonic activity, and we're going to see an increase in transhumanism, which will create what I call modern Nephilim all over again, the corruption of all flesh. And Jesus actually said, except those days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. And I believe that he said that because for the same reason his father said in Genesis 6-3, if you guys don't stop doing this, my spirit will no longer dwell with you. Why aren't there giants and, today? Rob, why aren't there giants roaming well, around today? There are those who would argue that there are giants today. There were supposedly reports, uh, you know, Steve Quayle and others have reported on this, of giants supposedly found and captured by our own troops in Afghanistan. The Solomon Islands, if you Google giant plus Solomon Island, you'll find a whole bunch of stories where people say, yep, they're still out there. <laughs> Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Abominable Snowman, these are cone-headed giants, you know, that are still walking around. So, I believe that there are a fair amount of them that are still out there, but as recent as, oh gosh, the well, you talked about Abraham Lincoln, and he was making reference to giants, of course, right. in his day in the 1800s, but if you look at the works of Lewis and Clark, Meriwether Lewis, it is believed that he may have been assassinated because of what he found, giants. And they report, the Spanish conquistadors and stuff were reporting giants, down in the Gulf of Mexico and Louisiana and all through that area. So in not too distant history of the Americas alone, we have stories of giants. And the Hopi Indians talk about chasing giants in the caves and, you know, uh, setting fire so they can't get out and, you know, smothering them, basically. So I believe that there have been mass exterminations because the giants are known for eating people (laughs) and causing a lot of problems. So from the Israelites in the days of Joshua to David and his mighty men to the Hopi Indians and others, it would be to our advantage to wipe them out because they're very problematic to have around. So, you know, I think they've been hunted to extermination in a lot of places, but in some places, apparently they're still out there, uh, like Solomon Islands and Afghanistan. Rob, fascinating. I hope you'll join me again because we've only scratched the surface and uh, much more to discuss. Uh, thank you for your time. How can people get a hold of Babylon Rising series? My primary website is babylonrisingbooks.com. From there, you can get to my blog, babylonrisingblog.com. The TV series I'm developing that will talk about all this stuff in a science fiction format is seedtheseries.com. A pleasure, Rob. Thank you again. 
Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. Rob Skiba. Uh, my thanks to Tim Spreen for production and uh, Albert Vinzel, my story producer. Uh, back next week are Gary Patterson as we talk about uh, John Lennon uh, and much more. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.